you to Brian and Fred and Debbie and Julian, our music team. Thank you, Fred, for leading us in repentance. It's um, keyed off of what we're going to talk about in the sermon this morning. My name's Kevin. I'm the pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and I'm glad that you are here with us to worship. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. That's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, just to share with you a few announcements, uh, what's going on in the life of our church, uh, all of our Uh, Regular disciple-making ministries uh, begin this week, so Sunday school began this morning. Our Wednesday night ministries uh, are starting this Wednesday night, so small groups, youth group, uh, Grace Kids, all of that will start back up. If you're curious about any of those things, there's actually a little insert flyer on the resource table uh, out in the gathering area. Grab that on your way out. If there's none left there, Call the church office. We'll give you any information that you need in terms of um, uh, where where you need to go, what you're looking for. Um, you may have noticed on the way in a little blue kids worship cart. We debuted that last week. Uh, this is to help parents. Really, it's to help kids. Um, parents are just a, a byproduct of that. Uh, but Kids, we want you to be able to engage in the worship service uh, as well as possible. And so there are bulletins back there, little clipboards you can use. Parents, uh, there's um, books that you can borrow from the, bo- from the, from the bottom tray. Um, but since our, our nursery stops at age five, at age five we want kids to begin to transition into, uh, into the worship service. We want to provide as much help uh, and tools for that as possible. So make sure that you... Uh, visit the cart. Kids, make sure you take your things back to the cart. Um, But we want to provide that for you. This, by the way, is what the the Children's Worship Bulletin looks like. Ample spaces to draw, take notes. I've had a couple of adults ask if they can use that bulletin too. That's fine, but if there's there's only a few left, make sure the kids have them first. Then you can take one. Uh, As far as adult Sunday school goes, I just want to... Uh, give a pitch to, for our adult Sunday school class. Uh, this semester we are looking at the theological foundations. We are looking at what we believe as a church. Now, you may hear that word theology and your eyes may cross and glaze over. You, you may just get sleepy thinking about it. Um, but here's why that is important. Uh, the society, the, the culture that we are a part of in which we live... Uh, is asking huge questions, right? In fact, every single one of us is asking huge questions, and each of us has a system by which we are answering those questions. All of us have a view, a lens through which we look at our world, our lives, the world around us, and the question is, is that a good system? Is it the right system? And so it's important for us uh, as we not on, not only for ourselves, not only for our own benefit, but also as we engage with the world around us, that we understand what we believe, that we come up with good, solid answers for those big questions. So, if you'll make the commitment to be here, and I realize it's a little it's a little bit earlier, um, it's, our Sunday school classes start at 9:45. We tried 9:30 a number of years ago. Apparently, 50, that 15 minute window is a big deal. Um, but it's at 945, 
Uh, and if you'll, if you'll make the commitment to be here, I, I promise that I will do my best to make that as relevant uh, to life as I possibly can make it. Okay, And if I don't, I'm giving you the right to say, hey, that doesn't make any sense to me. Tell me, how, tell me why this matters. Okay, So on your way out today, also on the, the gathering table, there's a, the handout. There should be some handouts left for the Sunday school. If you're interested in le- uh, looking at that, grab one of those as well. All right, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. If you're using the, uh, the church Bible, you should find our passage today on page 816. Oh, sorry, wrong passage is on the screen. That's from last week. I didn't change it. Sorry. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty through 30 is where we'll be. Same page. Same page. Same chapter. Just the next few verses. And what we see is, uh, over the next couple of chapters, opposition to Jesus is increasing. Uh, public opinion about Jesus is beginning to to change, cooling off, you might say. We, we probably would say something like uh, his approval ratings are going down. Uh, and so it's in that context that Jesus speaks. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. Let me pray and then I'll read. Father in heaven, we thank you for being a God who reveals himself, who does not leave us to guess at your will, at your way, but you reveal yourself through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. That as your word is read and heard and preached, that your spirit would open our eyes to behold wonderful things and that we would be transformed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for so it was pleasing to you. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he bless 
its reading and its hearing and its preaching. And may he write its eternal truths on our hearts forever. Amen. So this passage really picks up where uh, we left off last week. Jesus has been preaching and teaching and, and doing miracles for some time now. And what we see is that most people are not responding the right way. In fact, we saw last week that even John the Baptist, uh, whose ministry prepared the way for Jesus, even he is wondering if he had gotten something wrong. And after comforting John, Jesus turns to the crowd and he gives them what we call in the country a talking to. Uh, they didn't accept John because John was too hard. And they're not accepting Jesus because Jesus is too soft. And so in essence, what we saw Jesus do last week is look at the crowd and go, what's it going to be, guys? You don't like him and you don't like me. How do you want to have it? And then he goes on from there. To today we hear him tell us what will happen to those who reject him. But he also tells us what will happen to those who receive him, to those who listen to his invitation and come to him. And so, again, we're going to look at this in two parts. One, the warning, so to speak. We're going to see that rejecting Jesus is absolutely catastrophic. But that listening to Jesus, coming to Jesus, brings us rest. And we would add to that life and peace. And so let's look at this first part. Rejecting Jesus is catastrophic. After he warns the crowds, Jesus then begins in verse 20 to criticize, denounce the towns in which he had been doing his mighty works, his miracles. And he says, woe. And, and woe is not a, a call to vengeance. It's not what Jesus is doing. Uh, it's an expression of deep sadness or grief. Uh, Jesus is saying, whoa, how terrible it will be. That's, what, that's, what, that's Jesus' tone here. And, and why is he criticizing them? What is he denouncing them for? He says, because they saw his mighty works, but they refused to repent. Let's talk about that word repent. Now we have a part in our service every week where we do that. Uh, that is actually a, a regular part of the, the Christian life is repentance. But what does it mean to repent? The word literally means to turn or to turn around. Uh, in the Jewish world, in the Hebrew scriptures where Jesus lives, it means a whole change of life. We might say doing a 180. Right? So repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry, or acknowledging I did something wrong, but rather a total reorienting of your life. And in this case, reorienting your life around Jesus. And what we see is that repentance, repentance is always the right response. And it's always the first step. Right? Jesus, Jesus is looking for more than amazement. Right? What Jesus did was amazing, and it caused people to, to wonder and jaws to drop. But Jesus says, that's not enough. 
That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for you to be amazed like a, a crowd at a circus. I'm looking for you to turn your life around. Right? The reason that he uh, criticizes them is because his miracles are a proof of his identity. They're a proof of who he is. And so, so what he's saying is right, that, that people should have seen what he was doing and they should have said, mm, clearly someone special is here. Clearly something special is happening here. Clearly God is at work. And that, all, and that should have prompted them to ask the question, how is my soul with God? Right? Here's clearly God is at work through this person. That should have been enough to catch their attention and cause them to go, hmm, what, what is it that I need to do? How do I need to get right with the Lord, as we might say? And then he makes a, a bold move, right? He, he goes on and compares these cities, these towns, really, to notorious pagan cities of the past, the names that would be familiar uh, to them. Who, uh, and if you know your Old Testament names, you would have heard before. Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. These places, these empires, were judged by God in the Old Testament for their wickedness and idolatry. And so... Uh, if you were Jewish, you would have heard these names and you would have said, well, at least I'm not them. Right? Um, we would say, maybe in our context, like, oh, we may not have everything together, but at least we're not China. Right? That kind of, that, that's, the, that's the feeling that these names would have evoked for uh, Jesus' Jewish hearers. And then he goes on and says to them, if they'd seen what you see, they would have repented. Sodom would still be here if the people in Sodom had seen what you see. You're worse than those notorious pagans. You've had an opportunity that they did not have. You have had the very Messiah in your presence, and you have not responded. You have refused to repent. You are worse than the very sinners you despise. And that should be bone-chilling. It was offensive to them, And it should be bone-chilling to us. It's a warning. It's a warning that we should not be so self-assured because of our religious habits, because of our particular opinions. We should not be self-righteous, self-righteously resting in those things. We, we should hear this woe and we should examine ourselves. What do we bend our lives around? What sets our course and trajectory? And if it isn't Jesus, then we need to turn. We need to do a 180. So what happens if we do? 
And that's what Jesus talks about next. Right? If rejecting Jesus is catastrophic, and that, that calls for self-examination on our part, and we have, we have even greater, we know more than even the towns of Chorazin and Bethsaida and, and um, Capernaum did. Right? They, all they had was Jesus' miracles. We live on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit and the Word. Right? We have something more sure than even they had. And so we too need to examine ourselves. Are we standing on the right foundation? Or are we boasting in something else? But if we humble ourselves and if we come to Jesus, then Jesus promises rest. Jesus goes from stern to inviting. And that's okay. They're both Jesus. Right? This is the same person, and we need to be careful that we don't flatten Jesus into a two-dimensional character. Um, you know, like, he's either this or that. No, Jesus can issue a warning, just like a good parent. He can issue a warning and then invite to life. And that's exactly what he does. He begins by talking to his father in prayer. In verses 25 and 26, he calls him the Lord of heaven and earth. Right? The one who is sovereign over all, in complete control over every part of his creation. There is nothing outside of God's control. He's in complete control of all history. And as Jesus says, he is the one who chooses to reveal himself. Now, we have to kind of wrestle with that tension. Jesus holds those cities responsible for their, their refusal to repent, while at the same time saying that it is the Father. It's, it's not just their stubborn refusal, but it's also the Father is the one who reveals himself. He is the one who opens eyes to see. And Jesus says that he has hidden these things, the nature of the kingdom, the Messiah. He has hidden these things from the wise and understanding, the clever. Now, does that mean that smart people can't understand who Jesus is? No. Does it mean that every little child understands who Jesus is? No. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? What Jesus is saying is that intellectual skill and savvy won't get you into the kingdom, right? That's the path of self-sufficiency. And it's hard for self-sufficient people to trust in Jesus because they have to admit their need. But what do little children have no trouble admitting? Their need. It's why babies cry all the time, even when they don't have to, right? They need something, always needing something, right? Jesus is saying, right, who Jesus is looking at is the Pharisees and the scribes. He's looking at the religious teachers of his day, the ones who were known as wise and understanding, but for all of their intellectual skill, for all of their knowledge, they missed the Messiah who was in their midst. For all that they knew, they totally missed who Jesus was. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Right? If you and I open the door to the kingdom by our own intellect, by our own good looks, by our own power, whatever that is, if, we, if we're the ones that open the door to the kingdom, then we have something to boast about. We have something to stand on before God. And what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is, you got nothing to stand on before God, right? What you need is to understand your need. Paul goes on, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, then, so that's true. How, how can I know God? Jesus answers that next in verse 27. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. So now he's addressing again those who were standing around him. He's thanked his father. Now he's speaking to them. And he says that the father has handed over all things, authority, knowledge, wisdom, etc. He's given it all to the son, Jesus. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. So there's a, a closeness between them. There are no secrets between them. They understand one another completely. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And then Jesus says this, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it is the Son's job to grant access to the Father. There is no other way to the Father but through the Son. If you would come to God, you must come through his son, Jesus. And Jesus has that prerogative. He has that access. So then the question is, well, how can I gain access? How can I have that? And out of Jesus' good pleasure, he issues one of the sweetest invitations in all of Scripture. Listen to verse 28. Come to me. Who? Who? All who labor and are heavy laden. Now, this is, this is more than just working and being tired. Jesus is describing people who've struggled for a long time under a heavy load. That word labor, we could also say, is burdened down. Right? It's an active word. You've wearied yourself. You just try and try and try to be good, to be happy, to be religious, to please yourself, to please God, to please others. Right? Have I touched on a, a burden somewhere in there that you're carrying that's burned you out? We weary ourselves. And then he says heavy laden, burdened. It's a, it's a passive word. You're weighed down by the load that you're carrying Later on in Matthew 23, 4, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of tying up heavy burdens, same word, of tying up heavy burdens and laying them on people's shoulders that they themselves are not willing to carry. 
right? So, so the Pharisees are responsible for religiously burdening people beyond what they can carry, and they don't even follow their own rules. The same word refers to other slave drivers that we work for. All the other idols that we worship. Family, pride, sin. Right? So it's not just religion that Jesus is criticizing. It's all the other weights that we carry. King David says this in Psalm 38.4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That's who Jesus invites. To all weary and burdened people, Jesus says, come to me. Don't wait. Don't, try, don't, don't keep trying to soldier on. Come now to Jesus. And what does he offer? He says, I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. I will refresh you. How? He goes on. Another command. Another two commands, actually. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, wait a second. If you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is an instrument of work, right? You yoke oxen together to make them plow in the same direction. And so if Jesus offers rest from burden, how can he also say, take up my yoke? Let's look further at how Jesus describes this invitation Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jewish tradition spoke of taking on the yoke of the law. That's what the uh, scribal tradition would, how it would talk about the instruction in the Old Testament. You would take on the yoke of the law, and that was the way to true wisdom and a godly life. So you would expect a Jewish teacher like Jesus to say the same thing, but he doesn't. He doesn't say take up the yoke of the law. He says, take up my yoke. He doesn't say learn from the scribes. He says learn from me. In other words, Jesus is saying come to work for me. That's what a yoke was, right? It's how you worked. Jesus says come to work for me, and that's how you will find rest for your souls. Does that mean that Jesus is, uh, that following Jesus isn't demanding or difficult, right? Are we hearing Jesus right when we... If we hear him say, hey, look, stop working and let's all head to the river. Is that, is that what Jesus is calling us to? No, in other places, Jesus describes following him like dying to self, like taking up a cross. He talks about suffering. Ooh, right? Jesus' rest is clearly not a carefree existence. Jesus' rest is not idleness. It's not doing nothing. Right? But instead of yoking ourselves to the law or yoking ourselves... Look, every, every single one of us is, is yoked to something. You may be yoked to many things. And what Jesus is saying is all of those yokes will burden and crush you. Yoke yourself to me. And that doesn't mean life will be easy, but it will be purposeful, it will be hopeful, it will bring you rest. So, so one path is hopeless and burdensome. One path, as difficult as it may be, is a path 
to rest and life. Jesus says in verse 30 that his yoke is easy. That word can also mean kind. So it's not the kind of yoke that chafes. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. He's saying that if you follow him and learn from him, that word for learn is where we get the word disciple, then you will know a rest that the world can never know. That's what Jesus is offering. And why does he invite us? Look at verse 29. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. In the Hebrew world, the the heart was the center of who you really were. And so it's, it's the core of your being. And so Jesus says at the very core of his being... He describes himself as gentle and lowly, meek, humble, and low, not harsh or overbearing. To quote Thomas the Train, he's not a bossy boiler. Leon Morris, biblical scholar, says this, leaders and teachers have always tended to take a superior place. But Jesus has no need of such gimmicks. That's who he is. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Friends, I don't, I don't know how you shot yourself in the foot this morning. I don't, I don't know what you're yoked to. I don't know what burdens you're carrying. I don't know what has wearied you out. But I know that Jesus is gentle and lowly, and he welcomes the weary. He does not say, get it together, buckle up, and do better. He says, hey, if you're tired of that, come to me and learn from me, and you will find a rewarding, restful, meaningful existence. Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Come to Jesus this morning and experience his rest. Let me pray. Our gentle and lowly Savior, we pray that you would, that we would experience your rest today. Lord, I pray for those who are burdened, who are weary, who are worn out, who as Jeremiah, uh, as we heard Jeremiah say earlier, who have dug broken cisterns and all we've got left is, is muddy sludge that cannot satisfy us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see that you are the only satisfaction of our souls this morning. And I pray that we would experience that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond.